And now for the rest of us as we read a brief passage from Hebrews, please stand if you're able. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are a God who speaks. We never want to treat your word as if it was just something ordinary and not something extraordinary, that you are a God who speaks to us, that we might know you, that we might know ourselves, that we might know how to live in this world well. Um, and so I pray that you would help us now by your spirit as we turn our attention to your word, uh, that your spirit would attend unto us, that the things that we in particular need to hear and see and be challenged by and be encouraged and comforted by, that you would do these very things. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to tell you about a guy. His full name is Klaus Henning Schul. He's also better known as Bottle Klaus. He is probably the most famous water bottle handler in the world. One TV commentator said about him, never has so much fuss been made over one man giving a drink to another man. In 2018, Bottle Klaus was the water bottle handler for Eliud Kipchoge, the winner of the Berlin Marathon, ran 26.2 miles, breaking the record at two hours, one minute, and 39 seconds. In 2022, the two paired up again for the Berlin Marathon, and there's this, actually you could, you could YouTube it, you could Google it, there's this fantastic little YouTube video that chronicles Bottle Klaus going and picking up Elliot Kipchoge at the airport, and then the whole race and, and everything that happened. Bottle Klaus is this incredibly like high energy, super positive German. Uh, he's in his mid to late 50s. He has white hair. He's this kind of lean guy. 13 times throughout the race, he has to get in position to do the bottle handoff for Elliot. I'm going to try to demonstrate it for you. So um, it's very entertaining. So he gets in this position and he scans the horizon for the runners. And as he sees Elliot, he begins shouting in a very heavy German accent, Elliot, Elliot. And then as Elliot comes by and grabs the bottle, each time with such enthusiasm that this has happened it's been, and it's worked so well, he does this double <laughs> fist pump. And then he jumps on his bicycle and he sprints ahead I think it's marathon rules or something, like he can't just take a car, but he jumps on his bike, he sprints ahead to get ready for 
12, 11, and so on, the other 13, the other 12 uh, bottle handoffs. In 2022, uh, Bottle Klaus helped Elliot Kipchoge win the marathon again, this time carving 30 seconds off that previous time to do the marathon in two hours, one minute, and nine seconds. When you're running a race, when you're running a marathon long endurance race, every detail matters, right? Like, you would never dream of doing a marathon if you just showed up one day without any training. Right? Your training matters. Your nutrition matters. Your sleep matters. The clothing that you wear on the race day matters. The shoes you wear, and if they have the carbon plates that propel you forward, matter. And even the water bottle handler matters. Hebrews 12, that we just read, says that the Christian life is a race. Take that text out. I want us to just notice a few things as we get into this text this morning. Multiple times, the author uses this Greek word that's translated either endure or persevere to speak of what kind of race this is. So verse 1, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Verse 2, Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Verse 3, we are told, consider Jesus who endured such opposition from sinners. The life of faith, of, of trusting and following Jesus, it's like a race. It's, it's like a marathon or ultra marathon race. It's a race of endurance. It's long. It's difficult. It's hard. The text also begins, you can see verse 1, therefore, connecting this passage with all of Hebrews 11 that went before it, where in Hebrews 11, the author has listed person after person from the Old Testament, beginning with Abel in Genesis 4 through Abraham and Moses and on and on. Men and women, these men and women, the author says, they lived lives of faith. They had confidence in what they hoped in and in the God that they trusted. They had confidence in God, even though they didn't experience the fulfillment of God's promise in their life. They kept looking to God and looking forward. And these people throughout time and history who trusted God and were commended by God for their faith, they formed this cloud of witnesses that surrounds us as we race. And the author of Hebrews wants us to run well, which is a way of saying he wants us to live well. And so what must we do to run this race well? There are two things that I want us to think about this morning in this text. Two things that we see in these opening two verses. Again, if you have the text in front of you, look at what these verses say. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. First, there are things that we have to throw off, that we, that we have to lay aside. And then second, there's, there's a direction, there's an orientation that we must cast our eyes and our vision. So we have, to, we have to throw off, and then we have to fix our eyes. And I want us to consider both of those this morning. First, we must 
throw off. Verse 1 says, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, the second part of that, I think it's something that most of us, you know, if you've read the Bible or you know anything about Christianity, you'd say, yeah, I could see how sin or what Christians understand about sin, how that would be something that would make it difficult to live this life of faith running toward Jesus. I could see how it would entangle you, how it would be an obstacle. But there's this whole other category that Hebrews gives us, everything that hinders. I want us to think about that this morning. Everything that hinders. The idea is everything that weighs you down. Everything that makes it more and more difficult and less and less likely that you are going to grow and thrive into the person you're meant to be in Jesus. There are things that we might not necessarily categorize as sin, but that will keep us from running well and becoming the person that we're meant to be in Jesus. So again, think about the race metaphor. This is like the opposite of Eliot Kipchoge. So if you don't know who he is, just a picture in your mind, a Kenyan marathon runner. The opposite would be maybe someone who's not really well trained at all. You know, what are they wearing? Maybe they're wearing like uh, flip-flops or, or like big baggy boots. Uh, you know, maybe they have sweatpants on, they have like a winter coat, they're holding a two-liter uh, bottle of Coke and a bag of Doritos, and the race start. That is, that is not going to work. This passage probes you and I to ask, what is my goal? Really, what is it? What is the goal of my life? What's the goal of every part of my life? What, how does my goal for life fit with work? What's my goal for work? Or, or school, if I'm a student, or uh, if, if I'm a parent, uh, you know, what is my goal for my children and parenting? What's the goal? What's my goal with, with friends and community? Every part of life is my goal, is your goal, to grow and follow Jesus and trust him? Is, is our goal to grow and become the person in the community that we're meant to be in Jesus? If the answer to that question is yes, then this requires that we look honestly at our lives and that we might reflect and consider what might be standing in the way. This is why we're doing this series Habits for love. If we want to grow into people who are becoming beautiful and whole in Jesus, we have to look at the whole of our lives and ask, are the things in my life, habits, structures, practices, that how are they shaping me? What kind of person is it producing? This week, uh, most, if not all of you, received an email from Jeff asking you to consider your life and doing this uh, life audit. If, if you're visiting or you're brand new uh, today, no worries, you are literally here at the perfect time uh, because we are just getting into this. So you could email Jeff or you could email me. Our emails are on the back of the bulletin and we'd be happy to send you this life audit for you to, to think about. In the life audit document, we ask you to think about structures and habits in your life. So structures, right? These are things that you can think about like your role in your family. 
uh, your job or school, where you live, your connection to church. Some of these are choices that we made a long time ago, like maybe decades ago, like maybe you're married or you have kids or your job. Some of these are more recent choices that we've made, like the activities that we've signed up for, the, the things that we to commit to for ourselves, for our kids, piano lessons, kids sports, all these sorts of things. These structures play into the rhythms of our life and give shape to it. Then we can also think about habits. Habits are repeated ways of being and thinking and responding in our lives. Habits are things that kind of, they can just run on autopilot. So think about your morning routine. How many of us in the morning think about when I dry off, when I get out of the shower, I'm going to start with my head and then I'm going to do the arms and then the back and then move, you know, or you just do it. And how many of us think about, am I going to make coffee today or am I not going to make coffee? I just make the coffee. It's coffee time. Habits are these things that we don't even have to think about. We just, we just do them. They're just kind of part of our life and our rhythm. What are your habits with things like technology and entertainment and TV? And what are the daily and weekly autopilot ways of being and responding to things in this world? And then we could add this third category of practices. Practices are things we intentionally engage in that might not always feel, you know, natural or even like, I really want to do this right now. But it's something that we choose because we desire change. We desire to grow in some way. And structures, habits, and practices, they shape our lives, who we are and who we are becoming. So when Aaron and I lived um, in Delaware, the first house that we lived in, it backed up to this really big uh, forest. And this forest had just a series of mountain bike trails. And I had just gotten a, a bike for riding to campus because I was doing campus ministry. And so I had this bike and I thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get into mountain biking a little bit. Uh, it didn't go well. But um, <laughs> if, you, if you look at the bulletin, just to, just to get a picture of this, that front uh, page of the bulletin with that picture, you can kind of imagine a trail like that, only if you know mountain bike trails, this was a way more like deeply cut trail. And there were these especially tight areas of the trail where there's basically like a single track tire trail that's deeply grooved into the ground and the soil and the path. And while I'm not a very good mountain biker and I also wasn't paying attention, you know, I was kind of just riding and my tire started edging up against that corner and of course you know what happens. I was thrown off of the bicycle and I learned the hard way that those trails keep you going in a certain direction. And you don't pop out of those trails into another one without some real intentional effort. Here's the thing about structures and habits and practices. Neuroscientists, of which I am not, obviously, would tell us that our brains are similar to that mountain bike trail. There are neurological pathways, ways of thinking, ways of believing and living that have been practiced and habituated into our lives. Trails have been cut and blazed that keep us moving in a certain direction. This can be a great thing the direction you're headed in is where you want to go and it's good 
But if we find places in our lives that are not the way of Jesus, and we want to grow, and we want to change, it's going to be difficult. It's going to take intentional effort to steer out of it. It's going to not feel very natural. And in these areas, it will likely not be enough to just change our thinking. If our practices and our habits and our structures got us there, if we practice our way into it, we're going to have to practice our way out of it. Not apart from our minds, but recognizing that we are embodied creatures. Let me give you an example. You may know that absenteeism, uh, kids missing school, is a problem right now across our nation. More and more kids are missing school, much more than before the COVID-19 pandemic. And of course, it's not surprising that that would be the case. A recent New York Times article, Where Are the Students, puts it like this. If you're a child or a former child, you know how hard it can be to summon the energy to leave the house each day for school, right? Yeah. It's early in the morning, you are tired, maybe you have a test or a social situation that is making you anxious. Staying in bed often seems easier. For as long as schools existed, so have these morning struggles. Nonetheless, children overcame them almost every day, sometimes with a strong nudge from parents. Going to school was the normal thing to do. Then suddenly, it wasn't. What used to be a habit stopped. The embodied action of getting up, doing the morning routine, getting out the door and going to school, this thing that was practiced and habituated in bodies and in the structures of family and community life stopped. And a new habit was formed, not going. And when the old habit is gone, now what do you do with anxiety about the test, about the social situation? Now it's so much easier not to go. But of course, avoiding and retreating what we're afraid of becomes a new habit that is only going to make it harder and harder to ever go back. And something similar has happened in the American church. At the congregational meeting, Jeff mentioned this book, The Great De-Churching, which is about this phenomenon in American life where suddenly some 40 million people have stopped going to church. And at least a large category of those people from this, this study that was done ha have been categorized as the casually de-churched, meaning what was once a practice for them, something that was habituated in their lives for various reasons just stopped. And what was at first perhaps awkward, that feeling of, oh man, I really probably need to get back, all of a sudden became normal. And now the thought of going back is hard. This, this series that we're doing, Habits for Love, is another way of talking about this ancient concept called rule of life. Over a thousand years before neuroscientists could tell us the importance of habits and practices, Christians seeking to follow Jesus and listen to the scriptures recognize the importance of shared, embodied habits and practices that oriented one's life and directed one's life toward God. 
Monastic orders and, and whole communities would order their lives around a common rule. St. Augustine, for example, wrote one of these such rules, as did many others. A rule consisted in a set of practices, a way of life together, that sought to help a community follow the way of Jesus. There was this recognition long, long ago that the structures and habits of life taught people through embodied practices what life was really about. And so Christians long ago recognized that ancient cultures, just like our modern one, in a sense already have a rule of life. Something that orients people toward a certain end. And so there was a Roman Empire system or rule of life that directed people. Just like today, there is an American or even we could say American suburban rule of life that orders our lives toward a certain end. And the point for Christians of a rule of life was not about rules, and it wasn't about legalism, and it wasn't about working your way toward God. The point was and is, we want structures and habits and practices that orient us to dwell in God's love, to drink deeply of God's love, and to learn how to love other people. Jen Pollock-Michelle, uh, she's gonna lead our women's retreat at the end of January on this topic of rule of life. She says this, a rule of life is a practical, is a practice of intentional faithfulness for the busy, the exhausted, the distracted, and the uncertain. It is a creative practice of patterning our lives in faithful response to God's voice. I love that last line, a creative practice. We want to hear God's word and respond, and we know that will not just happen automatically. Another author, John Mark Comer, in his great little book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, writes this, a rule was a schedule, a set of practices to order your life around the way of Jesus in community. It was a way to keep from getting sucked into the hurry, busyness, noise, and distraction of regular life, a way to slow down, a way to live into what really matters, what Jesus called abiding. We're doing this because we want to grow into the fullness of life that is offered to us in Jesus. Let me real quick say what this series is not. This series is not about life hacks and greater efficiency. I'm assuming you've heard the term life hack. If not, you can you know, Google it later. Uh, think about the metaphor though. What is the object of hacking? What does, what does a life hack imply about you? That you're a computer, that you're a machine. The point of a life hack is to see how much more can we get out of the machine? How much more can we produce? How much more can we crank out? That is actually like the opposite of what we're talking about here. That is dehumanizing. You are not a machine. You are a person made in God's image to know and love God and love other people. So when you hear us uh, throughout this series, whether it's Sunday school or emails or up front, when we talk about system or when we talk about the system of your life with habits and structures, 
don't picture in your mind a car engine or something mechanical. Like, the, the point of this series is, we think we can get 30 more horsepower out of this church. No. <laughs> think ecosystem. Think of a nature preserve. Think about the way that life happens so that organisms can flourish and grow. It's not about life hacks. It's not about greater efficiency. It's also not prefabricated. Jeff and I do not have a wonderful plan for your life. It's not all figured out. We, we've been thinking about this for a couple years, and since last November, we said we're going in this direction. But this is a journey that we're going to need to take together. We're going to need the collective wisdom of this body. We're going to need to be helped by one another because our lives look different and, they, and we're in different places and different kinds of jobs and different situations. We're going to need each other to help examine and, and to understand our choices and to think about creatively how can we make different choices. This is something that we're going to need one another to grow in wisdom and love. The plan is that this is going to last two years. Each semester for the next two years, we are going to consider an area of life and related practices. So there's going to be four themes in all. I just kind of want to chart the way real briefly so you know where we're going. This fall, we're going to consider rest. And we're starting with rest, I think rather obviously, because in the speed of modern life, if we don't start with rest, we're just going to try to add more. And that is not going to be the answer. The first thing that we're going to have to learn and practice is the ability to slow down. To slow down and be in God's presence. To pray. To sit with his word. To dwell in the love of God. In the winter and spring, we're going to consider practices of devotion. And by that, we mean following Romans chapter 12, where we're told, in view of God's mercies, we're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. We're going to be thinking about practices that help us to live out the reality that we do not belong to ourselves, but we belong to Jesus. Next year in the fall, the plan is to think about community. Right? In a world where more and more relationships are transactional and it's about consumerism, we need to find practices and continue to lean into practices together that help us to know what it means to share as fellow members of the body of Christ. Practices that help us to form sticky and deep relationships with each other that are the opposite of shallow and surfacy. And then finally, in, in winter and spring of 2025, hospitality. And you think about a world like ours where it is so common to build walls between who's in and who's out. Where it is so common to write off, protect against, and be fearful of. We have to think about practices of hospitality that will help us embody the generous, self-loving God. Self -loving God to our neighbors and our wider community. Here's why we're doing all this. Because there is a better way to be a human being in Jesus Christ. Look back with me at Hebrews 12. We are to run this race of endurance, throwing off everything that hinders us, 
Verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's the point. That's the goal. That's where we're headed. Notice what the author of Hebrews tells us about Jesus as he seeks to motivate us to continue looking at Jesus and continue on in the long endurance race. He calls Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the pioneer. Jesus has blazed the trail that we are to run. He went first. He lived it. He was a person in this world. He pioneers and he leads the way. He opens up this whole way of life that is not possible apart from him. But he not only blazes this trail and leads the way, but he's also the perfecter of faith. He is the one that brings us all the way to the finish line. He is able to bring us fully and finally home. Remember the mountain bike trail image from Delaware, my time there. Our habits and our structures, they can malform us in ways that, that lead us astray from Jesus or weigh us down. But Hebrews says, Jesus has cut a trail of faith. And as we learn to grow in him and follow him and dwell in his love and fix our eyes upon him, there is a way of life of peace, of joy, of love, of hope that can be formed in us. There is a redemptive way to live in the ecosystem of grace when we fix our eyes upon him and run toward him. And so that's what the point of all this is to do, to fix our eyes on Jesus. Jesus who gave himself for us. The text says, verse 2, Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. The cross, in all its awfulness, was meant to scorn with shame those who faced its dehumanizing and degrading torture. It, it, it was this horrific instrument that in one sense proclaimed, look what we can do to you. You are insignificant. And look what the text says Jesus did. He scorned the shame. He, in a sense, was able to treat the cross as insignificant. How could he do that? It was insignificant compared to the joy set before him. And what was that joy? What was he looking forward to? Look at the end of verse 2. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He accomplished salvation. And if you've been reading through the book of Hebrews, if you were to do that, you would see that this is a theme again and again and again that the author has brought up, that Jesus actually accomplished salvation and he sat down. It's done. It's finished. But here, as, as various commentators note, um, the writer of Hebrews does something a little bit different with the verb tense from previous times when he talks about that Jesus sat down. Here he emphasizes not only the fact that Jesus has done this thing, but the ongoing significance of it. In a sense, what he's saying is Jesus completed salvation. He sat down at God's right hand and he is there today. He is there today. This was the prize set before Jesus. This is how he was able to 
count as insignificant the pain and the agony and the shame and the degradation of the cross because he would be exalted to God's right hand. And in that place, he would be in the position, as Hebrews 7.25 puts it, to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him because he always lives to make intercession for them. He did it for the joy of completing salvation. He did it so that as you and I run toward him, that he would always be in the place to help you, to keep you, to save you, and bring you home. Let his love and his example and his endurance direct and motivate you as you live your life, as you run toward him. And let me invite you, if you've not already started, to come on this journey with us as a church. Let me invite you to look at your life, habits and structures and practices, as we together seek to cultivate habits for love. Come with us as we seek to practice and develop these habits that are going to help us to better know and experience God's love, that are going to help us to love one another, that are going to help us to learn how to love this world. Let me invite us to turn to God in prayer. The God who invites us to live in this ecosystem of grace, in this long endurance race of faith in Jesus. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our sins. He knows our struggles and our failings. And he invites us to turn to him in honest confession of these things, promising us forgiveness and restoration for all who would turn to him. So let's do that now. I'll give us a few moments for silent prayer and confession, and then I'll lead us in prayer in a moment.